0: Everybody. It's so great to see you. And I want to welcome the, uh, the part of the people who are not here in Dallas. There's an invisible section of seats that is even bigger than this entire room. And it's the people that are in Fort Worth, Houston, El Paso, Tulsa, all over the place, all over the country, all over the world. In fact, we're so glad that you guys are tuning in with us. If we have not met, my name is Garrett. I serve on the staff team here at The Porch. And I'm so excited to get to spend another uh, Tuesday night with you guys. It's going to be great. So I, I hope it's going to be great. That was a little overconfident, wasn't it? I'm, I'm excited and I hope it's going to be great. Hey, I want to start by uh, sharing this with you. Uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I took our closest friends and family and we went off to Mexico to get married. Now we were very excited about that. The destination wedding thing has some advantages for one, the beauty. It was fun to get married on a beach. There actually, I think we've got a picture of it here and it's, it, was a, it was quite a sight. There's JP all fired up, you know, like there's... Family on the right, family on the left, it's really pretty. But you can't actually see like right outside the picture, there are these other resorts to the left and right. So there's this guy like with like an umbrella drink sitting on his like belly, you know, like right outside of this picture. So we all had this very thin slice of the beach. But one of the disadvantages of us getting to go have this awesome experience was that um, all of our family stayed the night at the same place we did on our wedding night. We were all at the same place for this resort. Big mistake, huge, don't do this. So anyway. We, uh, we were all at the same place. And in the morning we knew we were all, they were going to go back home. Uh, a lot of family in Texas, some in Florida and some elsewhere. And we were going to go to the other resort for the rest of the honeymoon. So, um, all the people that we brought down there are great people, family, friends, pastor, you know, I mean, it's just all good. They all have one thing in common. Don't want to see him the day after the wedding. So it becomes our like top priority, you know, that we want to get out really early. You know, we want to get out soon. So we set this like terrible, like 7:30 AM, uh, Pick up from the other resort, and they're going to come get us. They say we'll be there. We'll we'll bring the car, and so we're out there at 7:30 a.m. I mean, just tired. You know, we're up all night praying um, for you guys, and um, so we we walk out there, and it's like 7:30 a.m. and uh, and 7:30 kind of comes and goes. 7:40 kind of comes and goes. I'm like, oh no. 7.50 comes and goes. And so I went inside the lobby. I'm like, people are about to start waking up. I don't want to see anybody. So I went in and I said, can we call the other resort and see what's going on? So they call and they're like, okay, they sorry, they're sorry. They forgot. They're going to come. I said, okay, no worries. They're late for the record, but that's okay. No big deal. And then I hear this ding and I turn around in the elevator um, and her dad is walking out and then mom's walking out and then grandma's walking out. All the Jamaicans are coming out. Of the elevator, all right. She's Jamaican, and so everybody is coming out. The elevator, her family's there. JP starts walking down in the lobby. I'm like, oh, this is exactly what I did not want to have happen. And I'm like, picturing like, how's this conversation going to go? You know, I'm like, how was last night? You know, I mean, I, <laughs> what do you what do you say? And so I, I'm, I have no idea what's about to happen. And curveball, thankfully. They were very gracious. Nobody even messed with us. I just knew it was gonna be a like merciless attack and uh, nobody messed with us. It was totally fine. And then the guy finally got there and I just wanna say, we're glad to see you, but you're late. And uh, what I wanna talk about tonight is one of the most normal frustrations that we tend to feel toward God in this life is you are late. You should have been here sooner. I needed you a few minutes ago or a few years ago, maybe even, and you chose not to show up. Because I know you could have, but you didn't show up for me in the way I needed, in the time frame that I needed, in the spot that I needed. And this is not just a Christian experience, you know, this is for, this is a human experience for us to feel like, God, you are late, where are you? And it can come out in so many different ways. Maybe you feel like God might be late on getting you a promotion, on getting you the job that you deserve. You might feel like God is late to help you get in life where your age should tell you you should be in your own mind. You might be feeling like God is late to get the person that you're sitting around right now to get you out the friend zone and ask you on a date. You might be feeling like God is late to help the person right next to you um, buy a ring, you know, and like actually get this thing rolling a little bit. Who knows why you think God is late? But it normally comes out like this. Why doesn't God, I just created a lot of conflict for some of you, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Couldn't resist. I planned that one too, I knew that was coming. So it usually comes out like this. Why doesn't God do something about this? You ever thought that? Why doesn't God do something about this? And it's so easy to come up with a this. Some of you are sitting next to this. It is so easy to come up with, why doesn't God do something about this in my life? Why is it still this way? Maybe late to heal a family member of a sickness. Maybe even late to bring somebody back to the faith from your family who left. I have had more than one occasion in my life Again, not just since I became a believer and started trying to walk with Christ, which wasn't until early adulthood for me, but I've had plenty of experiences on both sides of that conversion experience where I just feel like I'm tapping my foot, waiting on God, while tragedy enters into my life. I know what that is like, I know what that feels like, and what I wanna talk about tonight is what to know when it seems like God is late. Some of you might feel it so strongly that you're like, buddy, I'm telling you, God doesn't seem late, God is late, all right? And I want to tell you, whatever, wherever you're at right there, I want to tell you that tonight we're going to see a story where Jesus would seem to show up late on purpose and have a lot of negative consequences for some people that he really loved. But thankfully, in this story, as Jesus showed up late and disappointed a lot of people in a very significant way in this story in the scripture that we're about to see, he takes time to explain himself, which is really helpful because there were some very confused friends around. Jesus, why were you so late as you're about to see and he takes time to explain himself what is really going on when it seems that God is late. And the narrator of the scripture, which this is in the gospel of John chapter 11, the narrator of the scripture actually jumps in to explain a little bit about what God might be doing in the times that we're late. So we're gonna be in John chapter 11. This is an amazing Bible story. I just wanna tell you, if you have never heard this story, this is, going. Can, I can promise on the authority of scripture, not on my telling of it, but on the authority of scripture, this is an amazing and interesting Story. And I'm excited for us to get to experience it together. It's quite an experience. So it starts with Jesus, of course and in a relationship with some of his friends. So Jesus, of course, is God in the flesh, which means he had a human life, which means he's a friend to like certain people, not just a friend to everybody because God's a friend of everybody, but Jesus had real human relationships because he lived a real human life. And some of his friends were named Mary and Martha. You might remember remember, um, him interacting with them in other parts of the scripture. So Jesus has these friends, Mary and Martha, and they have a personal friendship. Well, there was a third person named Lazarus that isn't mentioned earlier in the story. Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha and a dear, dear friend of Jesus. Well, it happens that Lazarus got sick, which sets the table for the story. When a family member gets sick, some of you know what this is like. When a family member gets sick, it's almost as if you don't even have to reflect back and go, well, what faith am I again? I mean, you just naturally start to pray to God and go, God, please help my family member. Please stop this. And that is the situation that Lazarus and company found themselves in. So this is what happens. The sisters sent word to Jesus. He was only about a day and a half's walk away. So the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now this will show you that there is a very familiar relationship here. You know, they don't even have to say his name. You know, it's not like they're like, Lord, the one you love is sick. And he's like, well, I love everybody, I'm God. You know, it wasn't like that. He knew exactly who they were talking about because he had a close personal relationship with Lazarus. And so Lazarus has fallen ill with a life-threatening sickness. We don't know what, that detail's not recorded, but Lazarus is completely sick. It says when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. And this is where Jesus starts to make some really confusing friendship choices. Okay, listen to what Jesus says out loud right here. Nope, it's for God's glory. He's sick and dying. That's a very jesus y thing to say. Like, It's for God's glory. We're telling you he's dying. Life is for God's glory. Death is not for God's glory. But he says, nope, this is for God's glory. So that God's son may be glorified through it. And then it says, now Jesus loved Mary and her sister Martha, or rather, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. He stayed put when he heard that his friend was sick. If you were writing the story right here, it probably wouldn't say Jesus loved Lazarus. Therefore, he stayed put where he was when he heard about his trouble. If we were writing this story, we would say, therefore, Jesus immediately went right to where he was and did what he'd done for complete strangers. But it says Jesus chose to stay put, mystifying everybody around him. And then he said to his disciples, now let us go back to Judea, which is the area that they were in. And they said, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet are you going back so here's just kind of a, some side context. Jesus has made himself an enemy of the religious establishment and people are trying to actually harm Jesus. They're trying, they've got a plot against his life and the disciples kind of lean in and are like, hey, here's the thing. Some people wanna kill you and when they throw rocks at you, sometimes they miss and they hit. So <laughs> it would be really great if we don't you know, go back there. All right, and Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna wake him up. And then they offer some brilliant medical advice. Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Which I'm sure Jesus had no idea that that was true. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought, obviously, he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly. And this is where Jesus takes his insensitivity, it would seem, to a completely new level. Lazarus is dead. See also, Jesus let him die. Lazarus is dead. And for, listen to this for your sake. I'm glad I wasn't there. What? So that you may believe, so that you can have faith, so that your trust toward me could be built. But now let us go. I mean, let's just admit, if you're there, you're confused. Some of you have had this scene in your life where you're like, God, there is a Lazarus in my life, a person or a thing or a dream or an opportunity, and I need you to come and be of assistance. And it goes to the ground, and then you hear something like this. It's almost just angering. It's like, for your sake, for my sake, you're glad you weren't there. You were the one we needed. We needed you. And you're talking about, you're saying this because of my faith? You want this to happen because of my faith? Jesus is sending a really, really clear message with this sentence. He is saying, I am letting a medical and a relational tragedy happen on purpose to form faith in you. That's what he's saying. I mean, if you're there, you're thinking, look, this is a medical malpractice. If you were a doctor, you would lose your license. Okay, you're breaking your oath. You have to go care for these people and it's definitely a friendship foul. Oh, this is not good. And then he's, he is saying, I let it happen because there is something that is even more important than the immediate lifting of a terrible disease. And that is that your faith, your connection to God, your belief, your trust toward the Almighty needs to be built. So I want to tell you tonight that having to wait does not mean that God is late. Jesus is right on time. He took his time, Now don't get me wrong, he might be late on your priority, totally might be late on your priority. The thing you want, the thing you need, the thing you're asking for, he might show up late on purpose to the party you're trying to throw, but he's not late on his priority. He's not late on what he's trying to do in you. Sometimes we want God to do things for us. God, will you do this for me? Will you please show up right on time and do this for me? And he might say yes, or he might say no, I'm not going to show up and do that thing for you, but I am going to do something in you. And I'm always on time for that one. Jesus is telling us that his purpose is to form faith, belief, confidence, trust, reliance, all means the same thing as a concept in the New Testament. He's trying to build the connection and the trust between people and God, between people and God. That's what he's trying to do. And even though our priority is usually to fix the immediate, Jesus has got his eyes set on fixing The ultimate, which is our faith and our view of God. When am I gonna get married? I don't know. I know he's not late and he's forming faith in you. When am I gonna get to go on a date? You know, heck with marriage, a date would be amazing, all right? Just a date, you know? Two human beings, eye contact, free dinner, date. You know what I mean? Let's make it happen. When do I get that? I don't know. I don't know. I just know God is forming faith in you. That is so obvious from the text. God is forming something in you, and he prioritizes what, prioritizes what he's doing in you over what you might want him to do for you. Let me tell you a sad story from a joyful angle. Um, the sickness thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to happen. So uh, the sickness thing is real for me. So my mom passed away when she was 41. I was 19. She was a young mom. She got cancer at 39. And 18 months later, there was a battle that was about a year and a half long. And about a year and a half later, filled with, by the way, Jesus, the one you love is sick. Jesus, the one you love is sick. Please help. And, uh, and Jesus stayed where he was for 18 more months is what happened. And it was as tragic as you can imagine. But something happened because God chose to do it in exactly that way that led to some faith being formed. So what happened was, as soon as we got this diagnosis, it was horrific. It was terrible. It was frightening. It was awful. It was everything you can imagine it would be. And some of you have actually walked this road. And so what happened was, um, our attention immediately turned to the ultimate things in life. I grew up in a family, my mom took me to church on Christmas and Easter, and I think any other time, you know, uh, she felt guilty and wanted to take us to church. All right, I mean, we didn't go to church a lot. It wasn't part of our thing. And she was a great parent, a great mom, and we had a great relationship, but we didn't have faith first in our home. Does that make sense? And so what happened was, whenever the diagnosis came in, all of a sudden, we had time to think, to talk about the ultimate, about God, about Jesus, about what he might be trying to do in us through this terrible situation. All of a sudden, my relationship with my mom got to go to a new depth because I didn't grow up in a family where we really got to connect about such things. We started to pray for one another. And in fact, before she died, she left me a note to open on my next birthday. You want to talk about high drama, okay? I mean, she wrote me a note and she said, hey, open this on your 20th birthday, which she never lived to see. And I opened it on my 20th birthday and it says, always, it's full of like scriptural encouragement, you know? Keep your faith and trust in the Lord. Things like that that never had ever come out of her mouth. And think about this, cancer's terrible. We're in agreement on that. I don't have to prove that to you, like you know. But if it had been a car wreck or even no death at all, I don't know where my faith would be today. That was the season, that was the thing, that was the time that God put his claim on my life and on my heart. That was the fork in the road where I knew I was gonna be all in with God or all out with God. And by God's grace, he, took me to a place of belief through the tragedy, and my mom too. We lost one, but God's kingdom got two. Come on, do you see that? That's what God can do when he's trying to form faith in you. It might be tragic, but he is working something good in you if you can see it. It might take time, but it is there. This is his pattern. So Jesus decides now he's gonna go. Once he's let the tragedy happen, And he gets there and on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days is a long, long time. Four days is enough time for, you know, several cycles of grief and sadness and peace to kind of come and go. And you get to sleep a little bit and get to relax a little bit. And four days is a long, long time of waiting. But he comes. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. And this is not like, oh, I'm so glad you finally made it. This is like a meeting. Like, okay, we're gonna talk about the fact that you were late, but Mary stayed home. These are the two sisters and we get two different reactions. It's almost as if Martha's like really angry and Mary is just despondent. And Martha comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which is a fact. That's part's true. But I know now that Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And now listen to this. She says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She doesn't believe in the power of Jesus in this particular moment. Does that make sense? I mean, Jesus walks right up to her and says, your brother is going to rise again. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I know, in heaven. I'll see him in heaven. And she has no idea what's about to take place in this story. And Jesus said to her and leaned in, and you just imagine the eye contact between these people, between the son of God, fully powerful, able to do anything, and this broken, angry woman who has just incurred a pretty terrible loss. And Jesus makes eye contact with her and says, I am the resurrection that you just talked about. It's not just an event in the future. I'm it I am what brings dead things back to life. And the one who believes in me will live forever, even though they die. And whoever lives by faith, by believing in me, will never die. Do you believe this? You hear him building faith again? You hear him focusing on that priority again? do you believe this? And then she kind of gives another little vague thing, you know, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the son of God who's coming to the world. You know, she's trying to say faith things. You ever found yourself in a tragedy or a hard time trying to say the right thing, but you're not really feeling it? I'm convinced that that's what she's doing right here. He's looking at her like, do you believe? And she's like, yes, in heaven. No, but do you believe? She's like, yeah, I know you're the son of God. That's not what he's asking. There are some of you that this very night, you believe that Jesus is the son of God, but you don't know that he can do anything for you today. And he can. He can do something for you today. And then Mary comes to the place where Jesus was and saw him. And she fell at his feet and said the very same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now here the sad sister after the mad sister. Same comment. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was troubled. This is where you get to learn something about the heart of God in the middle of a tragedy. This is where we can see, I'm so glad this part is included so we can see the heart of God when we're up against something horrible and God is late. He's moved in his spirit, he's troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, and they said, come and see. And then it says, the shortest verse in the whole Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus, the all-powerful, mighty Jesus who could have stopped it and could have been there and already had healed so many people, stepped down into the dirt that he had made and cried. The same tears that everyone else was crying. He is emotionally moved by the people who have been emotionally moved. He's emotionally moved and distraught by what is terrible in the world. He is hurt by what hurts people. And that perfectly reflects the heart of God. And this is so crucial to know that when something terrible is happening, it is not because, and when God chooses to be late, it seems like he could have stopped it. It's not because he is emotionally detached. He gets there and he weeps. And you need to know that that's true of your situation. If you have a situation that is weep-worthy, Jesus joins you in that. It means that God's delaying is never God detaching. God delaying is never God detaching if god what does that mean it means if god chooses to take his time in your life and something doesn't go the right way and you end up hurt and you end up in a terrible situation and it's just broken broken and it seems like he's the one to blame he is not emotionally detached this has the power to lift such heavy burdens. When you think about the worst parts of your life, the parts where you needed him, man. I mean, the times when you, he needed to show up and he just didn't and something broke and something hit the fan and a marriage ended or a relationship ended or your health ended or your money ended and something just ended and it was off. You need to know that his emotional closeness to the situation is fully felt. Where was he when I got lied to? Where was he when I got fired and I was so upset? Answer, he was upset. Where was God? Where was God when I got assaulted and wept? He was weeping. That's where he was. He walks with us through these things. Where was he when you got hurt? Answer, he was hurt. Where where was he whenever you were broken? He was broken, not his strength, but his heart. Broken for whatever you went through. I don't know how long your list of hurts is in this life. I don't know if it's longer than the person's next to you. I don't know if it's longer than the brothers or sisters you grew up with. I don't know if it's longer than mine. However long your list of hurts is in this life, even if they're self-caused, it breaks God's heart that you have been through a situation that caused tears to come out of your face. So much so that he chose to do the very same thing, even though he knew he could have fixed it. He chose to engage in it. This is so powerful. You know, I don't don't know that most people don't care about God as much as they make it seem. You ever run into people and it just seems like they don't care about God? I'm convinced that they think God doesn't care about them. And it informs so much of what they do. God cares. He knows and he cares. And some of the Jews rightly said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind, have kept this man from dying? You know you can stay mad at God as long as you want, right? You can stay mad at God as long as you want. Some of them say, couldn't he have stopped this? I mean, some people see his heart, his broken heart, and the heart of God reaching out to people who are hurting, and they go, oh, at least he loves us. And other people go, oh, he could have stopped it. This is the fork in the road that will influence you for years. If you want to stay mad about whatever bad happened to you, and I promise you, if you told me what bad had happened to you, I wouldn't brush it off. I might weep with you. Because whatever bad happened to you, I believe that it was bad and I don't need to disprove that. And God's not saying it's not bad. But if you choose to stay mad and upset, he could have stopped it. If you wanna get stuck on that one little piece of reality, he could have stopped it. You're gonna go into despair for years and years and years. But you see how quickly some people can see, oh, he loves us and that makes all the difference. That's gonna influence where I go next in my heart. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. And this is the, where the story just comes to a complete pinnacle. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. I mean, you can feel the drama is kind of waking up here. You know, It's like painting the picture. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And Jesus points a finger and says, take away the stone. And then Martha said, but Lord, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor because he's been in there four days. I think this is her getting a little last jab in there. You know, he's been in there four days, took you four days. You know, (laughs) you've been a long time getting here and it's going to smell bad because you know what happens when a dead person dies? It starts to stink, especially after four days. I think she's getting a little jab in there. And I, I, this is why I love Jesus. He's fully God and he's fully man. I think he gives a little jab back. Didn't I tell you that if you believe you'd see the glory of God? <laughs> so they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said, I love this little meeting with God in the midst of all the human confusion because haven't you noticed everybody's confused? Tragedy always does that. Everybody's confused. Some people are hurt. Some people are angry. Some people are like, he could have stopped it. Some people are like, oh, he loved him. I mean, there's, it's just chaos, all right? People are repeating conversations. If you'd been here, you could have stopped it. If you'd been here, you could have stopped it. And Jesus goes off in the corner and has this little moment with God, which I think is so fun. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. It's almost as if he's saying, well, no one down here has. We've got every reaction except faith. He says, I know that you always hear me. Listen to this confidence. It's so obvious, you know, to him. He's like, I know you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here. Why? So that they may believe. That's what I'm after. Start to finish. He just like wanders off and he just says, God, I know you always hear me. They have no idea, but I'm saying this so that they can believe when this is done. This is for them. The whole thing, the tragedy, the waiting, the anger, and what is about to happen next. Is for their faith. And so when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice because dead people don't hear very well. Lazarus, come out. This is an awkward moment at a funeral if there's any pause. I don't know how long, (laughs) I I don't know how long the pause is, you know, but if it's long, I mean, it's awkward. You ever been at a funeral where, you know, some people are kind of stoic and some people are like, they're on the casket and they're like, come back. You know, I mean, if he like, If he is like, he says, come forth. I mean, he's kind of betting the farm right here. I mean, because if it doesn't happen, he's going to lose his following. I mean, this is all over and his friends. But he says, Lazarus, come out. And it says, the dead man came out. Can you imagine this scene? I think sometimes we read this and we forget it's it's not a fairy tale. This happened. This really happened. Like if you could get in a time machine and an airplane, you could have seen this. Like if you'd had an iPhone, you could have like captured it in slow-mo and watched it later Like this really happened. The dead man came out. And Jesus looked over at Martha and was like, four days, nothing. I'm just kidding. (laughs) The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. When Jesus brings you back to life, sometimes you still stink for a while. But he said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And Lazarus came back to life. And with this miracle, there's so much that we could learn from this, but I just want us to see one thing really clearly. With this choice, Jesus said yes to what he had previously said no to. It was no, no, no. Day two, no. Day three, no. Right now, no. And then it was yes. And by the way, this story happened so that you could know that this is God's pattern for all of us. Not that he would give us whatever little preferences we have on earth, but so that we would know that there's a world coming where every real and godly desire we have will be fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven. That in heaven, it will be the place where no relationships end because of conflict. Heaven will be the place where sees, nobody sees uh, tragedy happen ever again. It says he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. In other words, every time he was laid and said no for a reason to form faith in you, faith won't be required one day because it is gonna be all right. It is gonna be all smiles. There's gonna be a place where you don't have to worry about people breaking in. There's gonna be a place where you don't have to worry about someone assaulting your kid. There will be a place where you don't have to worry if the person you love is actually lying to you. There'll be a place where the, The gap between you and God is gone. And every desire for happiness you've ever had is fulfilled and then some. And there, your capacity for enjoyment, think about this, whatever your capacity is, like a cup, you know, has a certain capacity. Whatever your capacity for wanting and fulfillment is, it will be overflowed and it will increase and overflow again and increase and overflow again. And everything that Jesus ever told you no, wait a little longer on, it will become a yes. Security, you wanna live in a secure environment? That's coming. You wanna live in a committed environment? That's coming. You wanna live in unhindered fellowship and get some peace finally? That's all on its way. Jesus didn't do this story with Lazarus, by the way, to tell us that nothing bad was ever gonna happen again. It gets worse before it gets better. I don't know if you've seen the death statistics, but they're still 100%. Lazarus died Again, everybody dies. Like there's still hardship in in life. There's still things that are gonna go wrong. And there are gonna be times between here and the finish line of whatever your earthly life holds where you are thinking, God, why are you still saying no? Why are you still saying no? Why am I still waiting? Why is that still not gone my way? And eventually... There will be a world where you don't want anything because you already have it in God. And some of you, that news is so good, you don't even believe it. The scripture says, how will he not also with Christ graciously give us all things? In heaven, you'll have everything you want. In heaven, you'll have everything you want. So no right now is not no forever. You need to know this. If God is late on something you want, if God's tardy on something you want, you just need to know that no right now is not no forever. It never is. Now look, if you're if you want if you're like, okay, my Lamborghini's coming one day. That is not what I'm talking about, wrong church. That's not what I'm teaching up here. I'm not telling you that one day if you just hold on, you know, that 50,000 check is coming in the mail. You know, like listen, maybe I don't know what he's going to do. I have no idea what he's going to do. I'm talking about your legitimate God-given wants. I'm not talking about your selfish, preferential, self-glorifying wants that we all struggle with, including me. I'm talking about the good ones, the godly ones, the holy ones. He's gonna say yes to them in heaven. Tim Keller said it this way. It's very helpful. God will either give us what we ask for or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew. I wanna close here. Um, when I was uh, 26 years old, another tragedy happened in my life. I want to share with you about it. I want to share the hope in Christ that was brought to me, and then we'll finish our time. I've actually shared this story here before. Um, you may be familiar with it, but whenever I was 26, I got a call that my older brother um, had died in a four-wheeler crash. I was actually in uh, church at Watermark Fort Worth. It was a Sunday morning and a little background. My older brother lived in a lot of sadness. Um, he was an alcoholic, self-professed. Um, he was a substance abuser, and I'd shared the gospel with him a lot because God had changed my life. I, and I was trying to tell him, like, I'm, I'm Lazarus. I'm telling you, I was bad. Everything you do, I did, okay? You haven't done anything I didn't do, and I'm telling you, Jesus brought me out of the grave, and he can do the same thing for you. I mean, I sent that message to him pretty consistently. And one day, I, I heard that he had lost his life um, in a four-wheeler crash. And honestly, I didn't know in that moment if it was on purpose, if he wanted to injure himself. I know he raged against the world and God and pretty much everyone in it. And I didn't know if it was an accident, I had no answers. I just know that one morning I got up to go to church and four hours later, I was in a sheriff's station signing a fatality report and I walked out with his flip flops and cigarettes in a Ziploc bag. That was it. Now look, I don't know if that's harder than anything you've ever gone through, or if for you that's just the tip of the iceberg and there is way, way, way more that you've gone through. I don't know, but I do know this happened. Um, A few days later, I was just at rock bottom. I was in his driveway, alone, parked in my car, a house where no one lives anymore, out in the middle of nowhere, and I'm parked there, and you know what I was saying? God, you could have stopped it. You could have stopped it. I was just stuck. God, you could have stopped it. I was so stuck in that thought, like, God, why, you stopped it for me? My life was deteriorating in sin and sadness and shame and, and insecurity and self-doubt and anger. And I was on the same track and you just stepped in and changed everything. Like you could, have, you could have done that here. I was literally saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I was just stuck on that and I was struggling. I was supposed to get up and preach the funeral like two days later and i had no hope. And a friend called me on the phone and he was a, a dear friend who was on staff with me. He was a kind of a mentor type figure, a few years older than me. And he called me and he said, Garrett, I heard about the tragedy. And uh, he started to say that. He could tell I was just like crying, man. I'm just like having it out with God. Like a, a, I don't cry a ton. And this was just all in. And he said, uh, he said where are you? He could tell it was more of an emergent, emergency type moment. He said, where are you right now? I said, oh, I'm in his driveway. And I just can't stop thinking God could have stopped this. And he was late. And he said, Garrett, he said words that I will never forget because I didn't just see him in John 11, but because I heard him come out of my friend's mouth and I knew they were true. He said, it's true that God could have stopped it, but we both know that doesn't mean that God doesn't care and it doesn't mean God wasn't doing more than you can see. And that might be all we get, but it's enough to trust him fully. And that." little piece of counsel led me out of what could have been the end of me and God. Like if I'm being honest, all I got to do is stay stuck on God. You could have stopped it and you were late. All I got to do is commit to that mindset. And I might've just gone away from God forever. I don't know. But by God's grace, he sent a friend to deliver the same message to me that we just encountered that Jesus delivered personally. And that's this, if you're going through tragedy And God was late. It's not because he's emotionally detached and it's not because he's gonna hold out on you forever. But you can bet it is to do the same thing for you that Jesus was aiming to do for the people who witnessed this life. And that is to form faith in you while you wait. Let me pray for us. God, we have more questions than answers when it comes to our tragedies, when it comes to our low points, when it comes to the why, when it comes to the hurts and the lonely questions. We confess, God, that we don't have every answer we want, but we do have the answers that we need. We don't know everything we wanna know about the tragedy that happened in our lives. I don't have all of my questions answered, God, and I know that these friends do not either, but we do have some questions answered. Do you care? We know the answer is yes. Yes. Do we have hope? We know the answer is yes, because a few chapters after what we just encountered, you went to the grave yourself and came back again so that we could know that we have a living hope and that you can provide us life. God, whatever tomb we're wrapped up in, whether inside that tomb is a person or a dream that we loved and lost, or a hope that we loved and lost, or maybe a part of ourselves that we hoped and we loved and we lost, God, will you resurrect, not only the situation, God, we're gonna pray bigger. Will you resurrect our faith in you despite the situation? Will you show us that when you delay, you're not detaching, you're working. When we cry, you cry. You're emotionally moved by what moves us. That means everything to us, God. We offer ourselves to you, God not because nothing bad is gonna happen from here, but because nothing meaningless is gonna happen from here. It'll all be used. It'll all be worked by you in your perfect hands, in your kind-hearted, gentle, loving hands. Thank you, God, that we don't just look into stern, angry eyes when we look to you, but we look into tear-filled, heartfelt, loving eyes of a father who hates it when we go through things that hurt us. We offer our heart to you, God, because you can resurrect anything, and we know you can resurrect us from our sin and our pornography and our selfish habits and our addictions we haven't admitted yet and what happened over Labor Day and everything we feel bad about from 10 years ago. You can resurrect the whole thing, and we worship you because only you have that power.